How are you this morning? Good. And it's okay to say, not a great morning. It's okay to say, hey, my kids were screaming the entire way here. Um, or, man, it's just been a rough week. Those are all okay emotions to be here today. Um, I don't know if we could turn up the house lights just a smidge. Love to see everyone's faces. They look like a... Before we open up, if I just wanted to uh, share something with you. Uh, first of all, if you're new, my name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a great privilege to have you with us. Um, I wanted to uh, share something with you. I mentioned it a couple times in uh, my sermons, but wanted to make you aware of it and where you can get some information because I mentioned it just two times in a message, and I've gotten a bunch of uh, emails and Facebook messages and that kind of thing regarding it. So in March, uh, myself and Pastor Steve Zarelli and uh, our wives, and maybe potentially some other pastors at Woodside, we're going to be leading a trip to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, to Israel, uh, all over Israel. And uh, March, uh, it's coming up in March. So if you want more information about that, that's all I'm going to say. It's down at the Connect Desk. They have some uh, pamphlets, but um, it's going to be an amazing thing. I I told a number of people, um, Sarah and I went about nine or ten years ago, and um, I think it's something that everyone should do is it makes the Bible go from black and white to color for me in seeing things in real time and what it looks like and feels like and what Jesus' experience or the disciples' experience might have been. Uh, it's just different, quite amazing. Um, so with that said, we're going to open up. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is where we're going to be uh, this morning, and we're going to be entering into just a couple weeks um, of just wrestling through some questions that individuals in the church have submitted uh, to the church. And then at the end of the summer, we're going to be jumping into First Kings as we look at the story and the person of Elijah. But today, we, we're going to jump into a series called Asking for a Friend. And a number of months ago, quite a bit of time ago, we put out some polls on our social media accounts from all the 14 campuses and asked people to submit questions that they had struggles maybe they had with faith or questions about faith. And so we condensed all of these down to just a number of questions, and we're going to wrestle with some of the most common ones. When we looked at it, it wasn't just like, hey, someone had a random question about whether the, the, the earth was a billion years old or six, whatever. It, it, we looked for, for veins of like, hey, seems like a lot of people are asking this general question, so let's go there, or this general question, and let's go there. And, and so we condensed it down to some of the most common ones. And so over the next three weeks, today and two more weeks, we're going to be wrestling with just three of those. And honestly, it'll be something we probably come back to as we compiled a bunch of them when we have gaps in sermon series to come back and wrestle with these questions uh, together. And so uh, today we're just going to be looking at one of those things as I open up in Matthew chapter 6 with you. And the question we're going to be wrestling with is, why doesn't God answer my prayers? I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Maybe I'm the only one. You ever felt like you've You've had seasons or moments where your, your prayer, or if you would think about it in just a visual way, isn't going through the roof. Like God doesn't hear it. He doesn't, he's not hearing you. He's obviously not answering. He's not responding the way that I want. And man, sometimes it's not even like, I don't even know if I feel his presence with me when I ask God to move on my behalf. Well, it's amazing when you look in scripture, there's well-known people in scripture like David who felt exactly like you do, who have wrestled through the same things. Psalm 42, I love Psalm 42 
It's one of those songs, psalms that I've, I've messed with on Sunday mornings, or I've kind of made fun a little bit, not of the text, but the way we use it within our Christian worlds, right? So you might know this really well, Psalm 42 in verse 1, as the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. And we have this cute verse, and we put it on, 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 on t-shirts, or like, you know, with a deer, and then we have, you know, a, a coffee mug with it there, and it's like, yes, God, as the deer pants, so my soul pants for you. Isn't that awesome? What a beautiful text. Well, have you ever read the entirety of the psalm? That's really not David's heart. I mean, it is, but then he goes on, and he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Listen to this. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throne and le- the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of the Jordan and Hermon, from the Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone before me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me, a prayer to God of my Life, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Sound like a cute little pithy thing to put on a mug? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? So not only is he saying, where are you, God? His enemies are even saying, where is your God? And why are you cast down on my soul And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, Psalm 42 and verse 1 isn't just some cute verse that we put on a t-shirt or a coffee mug. Man, my soul pants for God just like a deer that's thirsty. Isn't that fantastic? No, when you get to it, as I've said many other times, when you read it, Psalm 42, David is wrestling with probably what many of you have wrestled with in your life. Where are you, God? I'm praying, and it doesn't seem like you're hearing me. I'm seeking you. It doesn't seem like you're close. Man, where are you, God? I'm so thirsty for you, like a deer that's panting for a stream of water, but I don't feel like you hear me. You're present with me. I'm sure that many of you have felt the same thing in the course of being a follower of Jesus, right? Well, I want to look at one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture is the Sermon on the Mount. I just want to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 6 with each of you and see a couple of ways that we are called to pray and maybe why, ultimately, why it helps us shed some light on why sometimes God may not answer our prayers. So when you look at it, Psalm, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, 
Jesus is teaching his disciples many different things. This is Sermon on the Mount, also known as the Law of Christ, where he went up on a mountaintop and he's sharing his heart and he's saying many different things that go back to the Old Testament law and are fulfilled in Christ. And he's saying, hey, this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven here and now. Today, living out the kingdom of God, what it will be like for all of time here and now. And he's teaching them, as he says, man, pray like this. Now, the parallel passage is in Luke chapter 11, and it says that Jesus gives us a little bit more insight. Jesus is actually praying, as he often did, and his disciples are witnessing it and seeing it, and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray like you. And so out of that response, Jesus then says, pray then like this. And that's super important for us because this is important for us to learn how to pray. And it maybe cast some light on why maybe sometimes God isn't answering or moving when we want him to. And what I want you to see today in Matthew chapter 6 is this. God answers prayer for our good and his glory. God answers prayer for our good and his glory. So there's a lot wrapped up in that statement. He answers for our good and his glory. And sometimes those things might not be our glory and our good. They might be for our good and his glory. So let's look in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, excuse me, and verse 5. Just before that, he's talking about giving to the needy um, and money and all of those different things. So he's teaching through some, some very um, um, core things within following Jesus. And so then he goes in verse 5, he says, and when you pray, look at with me, verse 5 of chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the first thing I want you to see just on, on, on observing and looking at prayer and what it looks like for us, the prayer is about knowing God, not getting from God. It's about knowing God and knowing who he is and walking with him. It's not just about getting from God. And we'll get into this in a moment, but if you just, just start to evaluate your life as a follower of Jesus, what does most of your prayer life look like? Is most of your prayer, just to give you a free shot at the very beginning, if you evaluate your prayer life, and most of your prayer life is, hey, God, I need this. God, I need this. God, do this. God, do that. God, move this way. God, heal this person. Man, God, help me with this promotion. God, do this. God, God, whatever. It's always about us oftentimes and getting from God. But when we look at the text here, it's not just about getting from God as our supplier of all of our needs. It's about knowing him. Man, right out of the gate. He says, man, don't pray like the hypocrites. And he's talking about in the text here, the Pharisees. And he's, he's pointing to them, maybe even physically pointing at them and show them as they might have been. They're like, don't be like the hypocrites. You guys know what a hypocrite is, right? You are one. I'm two. But I, I just want to press on a little bit. Oftentimes we think of hypocrites in this way. A hypocrite is someone who says something and does the opposite. Like, hey, I am uh, this, or I, I, I love God, but then I live the opposite way, right? And so, so many people blame, like, I don't want to be a Christian because all Christians are hypocrites. And I always tell people, yeah, they are. Join the club. Come on, like, you're a hypocrite too. You'll find great company in the church. 
right? We're all here for the same reason. We're all hypocrites, and we all need Jesus, right? Like we're all going to fail. But the thing is, though, man, when you look at it, in the text, hypocrite for Jesus is quite different in our text than what maybe you've known your whole life, right? Here, man, people, he's saying, are praying in public in religious gatherings, and they're doing it just to be seen by others, man. Don't pray in the synagogue or the street corners that you might be able to be seen by others. He's saying, man, these people that are religious, elite, they're standing on the corners. They'll see in a moment using big words, and man, I want to be seen by God or heard by God in some religious, beautiful way. But I want to press on this a little bit. See, a hypocrite to Jesus, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, is not someone who lives one way and says that they do something opposite. No, it's actually not the true definition of a hypocrite. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus points to over and over again, a hypocrite is someone who actually lives an upright life. They're following all the law in Jesus' time. They're following laws on top of laws to make sure they don't break the laws. A hypocrite to Jesus isn't someone who says, I love Jesus and live differently. A hypocrite to Jesus is someone who lives holy and their heart is cold and far from God. You see, a hypocrite to Jesus is someone who says, man, I'm super religious and I stand at the street corners and I use big words to pray. Maybe use me as an example. We stand up here, I preach all these sermons and I, I, I say a bunch of stuff about God in front of all of you, but then when I leave this place, my heart is cold and far from God. That is a definition of a hypocrite to Jesus. They're wearing a mask of religiosity and they actually do all the right stuff, but their heart does not long for God. Their heart does not truly love God. Their heart is far from God. So Jesus says, man, don't just pray in public, but pray in private. This will help you with that. Now, is Jesus saying we shouldn't pray in public? No. Just before that, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you're giving to the needy. Does that mean like you're just like you grab whatever comes out of your pocket and you're like, take it? I've heard so many people say like, well, you can't know what I do with my money in church because we can't even let our right hand know what our left hand is. That's not what the point is. The point is about our heart. The whole Sermon on the Mount is the disposition of your heart and my heart. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you struggle to give to the needy and want to be seen so that you're religious because your heart is not pure, then do it in private. I mean, if you struggle, it's not that we can't pray in public, but if you're struggling with the big words and, and, and man, being seen by people as someone who's religious, then don't pray in public. Pray privately to your heavenly Father who will reward you accordingly. He's also saying that, man, prayer isn't just some public thing. You shouldn't just pray at the dinner table with your family. You shouldn't just pray in church when we pray here. You shouldn't just pray at your small group, that there's actually something more to it, that, that there's an authentic life that is following Jesus, and in the authentic life of following Jesus is that you have an authentic relationship with him, and you're actually communicating with him throughout life, not just in big gatherings and the table so your kids can see you do it, or your small group when it's, you ever felt like this? I just want to put it out there. Popcorn prayer, or you pray in a circle in a small group, and you're like, I'll never forget this as a kid. You know you have like four people until it's your opportunity to pray, so you're thinking of the greatest prayer you could ever be spoken. <laughs> you're like, man, I just gotta, I gotta kill this prayer. 
So these people actually think that I talk to God. Like, I, what am I going to say? Like, I just got to figure this out. No, man, the, the, we'll go, come back to it over and over again. It ain't about that. It's not about the authentic heart before God. Pray the same way that I pray in secret to God. The point is, is that you would actually be praying with God in secret. Right? I mean, the power of God in prayer, his reward is found, he's saying, here in secret. And I'll just put the word authentic there. That, man, as we seek the Lord authentically, privately, it's not about anyone else. When I'm private with the Lord praying, it's not about what my wife thinks, my kids think, all of you think. It's just me authentically bearing my heart before God. That is what God is longing for. That is what God is looking for in us coming to him in prayer. Man, one of the reasons maybe your prayers are not being heard or responded to is because how we treat God in our prayers. We're unauthentic, as we'll see in a moment. God already knows what we need. We're so unauthentic to God rather than just being real with the Lord, even to the point of, Lord, why aren't you listening? God, why? Do I feel like you're not present? Why are you not hearing? What am I not hearing from you? What do I need to know from you in this season? Because, man, I just, just feel like you're not listening. Not the opposite of much of what Christianity has been over the years. Man, God hasn't heard my prayer. Praise God, it's still okay. When in your heart, you don't feel like it's okay. You feel the opposite, right? In this, God is calling us in prayer, to know him, not just to receive from him. See, prayer isn't just some thing that we gain God or get to God or we make our friends think we're spiritual. No, it's about knowing the Lord. And it says when we pray to him, come to him authentically, he will reward us. Right? Behind me, us in this room, myself included, again, every week when I preach, I just want you to know I'm preaching to myself. How many of us just fit God into our schedules, throw up a quick prayer here and there, or in public when we're in small group or church or some other atmosphere with Christians? No, prayer should be this private love language with us, with the Lord, walking every single day, and then it comes about in public settings. It's not just snapping my fingers that Jesus is some genie in a bottle and he's waiting there for me. No, it's so much more than that. It's intimacy with God through a personal, amazing language, or, or excuse me, relationship. So I'll illustrate it this way. It, it, what God is getting at here is, is if, man, you see me, if you're here every Sunday, you see me most of the time up here talking about things of God. And can you imagine in all of what I did on my sermons, more and more I'm trying to take my kids out of sermon illustrations because I don't want to damage them Seriously, it's kind of funny, but it's not as well. I don't want them to think, like, my whole life I went to church my whole life and my dad just made fun of me from the platform or pointed out all of, told all my dirty language, or my, my not dirty language, dirty laundry, aired it out before everyone. My kids don't say dirty language, okay? <laughs> right? But what if I just always, man, I was just over the top when I was here and in front of you all, just like, man, I love Sarah. She is the greatest. She's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And man, I just love her. And man, I, I sought my whole life to find a woman like her. And then there she was, oh, like she was floating towards me. That actually happened, really. Um, and then I left this place, and privately, I never really talked to her. 
I never really sought her. I didn't really think about her feelings. I never asked her what her feelings were or what she thought. I just kind of ignored her. She's there because we live together, right? And so we sleep in the same place. We eat meals together. And we have like just some random conversations, but really there's nothing else. And all of you would be like, Jim, you would be a moron. Can I just tell you how many believers in Jesus treat God the same way? Man, in public settings, man, I love God. Man, yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. Ah, God's with us every day, walking with us. He's right there when we lay our head down and we wake up in the morning. He's there in that business meeting. He's there when we lost our temper with our children. He's there when we made a public, um, you know, mess up in front of everyone. In all of it, God's there, but yet we treat him as if he's not present with us. Because here's the thing. The point of prayer is not just gaining something from God or, or some acknowledgement that I'm a good husband because I tell you all I am with my wife. No, it's about actually living it every single day with God. It's authenticity. And in those moments, God hears and rewards because it's my heart. It's not just some made-up thing so people will look at me. So I'll just ask you just this morning, what is, do you think, in all of this, what does your relationship with the Lord look like in prayer? Are you going before him? Are you having conversations with him? Or is it something you do when other people are around? It says clearly in Scripture, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Man, what a proud, prideful thing it is to only when people are around do I talk to the person that I supposedly love with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then when he's not, when I'm not around those people, I don't really speak a word to him. Now, God's looking for authenticity. Do you have a habit of being in his presence? Did you know part of prayer isn't just talking? You would do really well to figure out how to sit in silence. For some of us, that's like chalkboard, like fingernails on the chalkboard. I'm one of them because I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Maybe you don't know what that is. You think it's devil worship. I don't know. But I'm a, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so I'm all over the place. I'm highly distracted. So sit in the presence of God with my eyes closed or in the darkness and just silence. I'm like, Aah! But did you know those are some of the most intimate moments with God? Because my big mouth isn't running. And there's nothing unauthentic about it. It's just me and God and the quiet. And in the still, small moments is maybe when God is looking to answer your prayer. But you are so loud. Your life is so loud. And all we have time for is asking rather than listening. I don't know where that hits you, but it hits me all the time. Oh, if you go on in verse 6 or 7, excuse me, read with me. It says, not only do we go to God, right, to gain intimacy with him, not just to get things. Well, look with me in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they, that, for they think that they will... Be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father already knows. He knows what you need before you ask. So not only is it about intimacy with God, but prayer is, your, uh, is going to your heavenly Father as a child. Now, our faith is a childlike faith, and when we approach God, it's like a child, right? He gives another example of how not to pray here, right? He, he says it's not about a performance. It's not about heaping up all these religious sounds before God that don't mean much. God doesn't care. I'll just give you this free. God doesn't care if you put the word propitiation in your prayer. 
God doesn't care if you name off every name he's ever had. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Adonai. Like, God already knows. I'll never forget, in college, every night we had a prayer group that we had to be a part of, which was great. And we'd sit in the room, and there's this one guy in our prayer group from across the hall, and I'm probably a horrible person for telling you this, but it's an example, and I don't know where his heart was, but I'm saying if it wasn't right, I don't know. Only God knows. Every time he prayed, I swear to you, he, he would go through the internet and find every name of God, and he would name them all before he started to pray. I was like, God knew it was him after the first name. We don't need 20. Now, it'd be funny. Maybe his heart was fully authentic. That's great. I don't want to judge him in that. But what I'm saying, though, is, is in those moments, we don't need to throw up all these empty, like, so that God thinks we're going to move because we know a Greek word when we pray. Like, I was joking about a few minutes ago, but how many of us wrestle with that in, in public settings of prayer? Like, I can't pray. No, no, Pastor, I can't pray because I don't know. I don't want to pray in front of everybody. I don't know what to say. Well, I don't know. What do you say to your neighbor? Right? What do you say to your kids? It's not about all these phrases and known prayers and all this different stuff. Recited prayers are fantastic throughout church history, and they're beneficial and great, but there's also this amazing thing called authentic prayer, going before the Lord, like a child would go to their parents, right? It says there, we come to God as our father. It means some significant things. The first one is, man, we're going to a wise, powerful, good father who's in control, and man, when I come to him as a father, like a crying child who comes to their dad, right? It's authentic. So when your kids were little, all of mine are older now. They're not coming to me like this. Like my oldest is almost, my youngest is almost 10. They're not coming to me anymore, but they used to. would come to me like, they're not being like, Dad, can I please have a milkshake with two of this and that? When they're like five years old, no. They're just like, Chicken nuggets! <laughs> Whatever it might be, because it's authentic, it's real. It's like what they're looking for. They're not heaping up these big words, like trying to explain what they want. And as a father, man, you didn't need all the big words. You knew exactly what they're talking about. Chicken nuggets. Gotcha. Let's go. Right? I mean, it's, it's authentic. It's who they are. It's real, right? And they respond, hot dog. Man, fine, you got it. Makes it easy, right? He's saying this in our prayer life, that we come to him like a, a child. Man, a child is oftentimes the most authentic person in the room. When a kid comes to his dad or his mom, it's a humble approach that they need something from him. I've said this a million times before. One of the main reasons you will see me in this space lifting my hands before God is because I feel compelled that, God, I need you today. Like a child who walks to his dad and his mom and lifts her hands and says, man, I, I got a broken toe or a scuffed knee or I need food or sustenance. Man, this is me before God. Man, you are faithful. I am horribly unfaithful, God, but you are faithful. And today I just need you to lift me up before I go up to preach to everyone else about the brokenness of my own life. God, I just need you today. And it's like prayer. What we do every week when we sing in this room, it's prayers going before God, telling him how unbelievable he is that he gave his life on the cross before, for us, how unbelievably faithful he is as we go before the Lord. This is what he's saying. 
So not only do we go to him like he's our father, we go to him also with the realization that we're children. Kids are really dependent on their parents, right? I mean, you got little ones, they won't last a day or two scrambling around the house before they will so dependent on their parents. Man, they need their parents to change them, to feed them, to care for them, tell them when it's time to go to bed when they don't want to because it's what's best for them, right? And so part of it is that we approach God like children with dependency and humility. I'll give you something, man, I've been wrestling with. I just spent four hours in Grand Rapids with my uh, counselor, mentor uh, that I did before my sabbatical with a couple of other of our pastors. And man, he reminded me of something again this week that dependency, inability, and dependency are the currency of the kingdom of God. Inability and dependency are the currency of the kingdom of God, where I can come boldly before the throne of, gay, of the throne of grace of I will do it for you. God, do it for me. I can't do it on my own. It's the currency of the kingdom. Being like a child, I'm unable to do it on my own, authentically coming before your father, not with some selfish agenda or, or, or some other thing. Rather, I come to God, not self-focused, but focused on him as my father and say, man, I love you. I know that you love me, and I know that you want what's best for me, right? So that, that's one of the things when I say, when, when people wrestle with like, man, God, I don't feel like God's answering my prayers. Well, well here's the thing. God is father I'm a child. That's what he reminds us of in this passage. So when I go to him as my father, I don't need a bunch of big words. I can be authentic before him as he already knows what I need, right? Man, how many of you, if you have children or you were a child and you experienced this, you come to your parents and, man, you're, they're like, I'm hungry. And you're like, well, we're going to eat dinner in a few moments. Oh, I want Doritos. Well, that's not good for you. You can't eat that all the time. Or your kids would just eat ice cream all day long or bad food for them? How many of you have kids that would stay up all night long? Or they wouldn't do their homework? Or, man, you, as a parent, just want to do everything for them. So you'll clean their room, you'll do everything for them. They'll never learn to do it on their own. And oftentimes they're coming to you every time. Like, man, I think, and I just always remember this, as a kid, my kids, they think that's what's best for them. They're like, man, life would be complete if I could eat ice cream all day, every day. Man, life would be amazing if I never had to clean my room. Life, according to a child, would be unbelievable if they never had to eat vegetables. But you as their parent know what's best, right? You as their parent know what's good for them. They can't see it at the time. They know better. You know better than them, right? Can I just remind you, each one of you in this room, myself included, we are spiritual children. We're toddlers, coming to God thinking that we have all the answers and we know what's best. And I just want to remind us, man, part of the reason sometimes we struggle that God is not answering our prayers is because, man, God knows better than us. As the old country song from Brooks and Dunn says, some of God's greatest gifts are what? Oh, he's got some country music fans. I like that. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. That is a real truth. That God is our Father knows much more than we do. And there's people in this room that, man, God, I don't, I don't get it. Why would you allow me to walk through infertility, God? 
My heart longs to be a mother or a father. Why would you do this? Well, God's looking down and says, hey, I know your desire, and I got something better for you. It doesn't look like it to you, but I got something better. And God, would you, why would you allow me to walk through this sickness? Hey, according to Scripture, according to God, it's a privilege to walk through suffering for the Lord that your faith might grow deeper and that you might be a shining light to the world around you. Our Father knows better. We're fickle, needy children, but God knows better. Just as a good earthly father or mother does not grant every request made by their children, our heavenly father knows exactly what's best for us in our spiritual development. And it's not just about our needs, it's about our development and becoming more like Jesus. And he knows exactly how to answer every single prayer according to what he has for us. The last thing in verse 9 with me, he says, how, this is how you should pray. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others, their, others, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, the last thing when it says, yeah, don't pray like this, it's not just about getting from God, it's about intimacy with God, right? Sure, it, it, it's about going to our father, our, our father as a child, authentically as a child, but then lastly, man, it, it's about transformation in us. Prayer isn't just about getting things. Prayer is is transformational, or it should be anyways, right? It's funny, when we wrestle with it, we think unanswered prayers, when you think about it, when we think of prayers of supplication and request, oftentimes when your prayers are not answered, <laughs> they're prayers of supplication or request. God, do this. God, I need this, right? And we look at God has, uh, has not listened to our prayers. Can I just ask a quick question? When is the last time your unanswered prayer was, God, make me more like you, Jesus? We don't complain about that one too much. Like, God, I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And like, God, why am I not able to do that? It's often like, God, I need a new job, and you just haven't supplied. God, I have, I've been given this illness, and I haven't been healed. God, my children are wayward, and they haven't come back to you. You're not listening. When is the last time our prayer was, God, make me like your son, and it's not happening, and I'm angry about it, God. I want to be like you. And I just keep wrestling with the same sin. I want to overcome this, Lord, Right? It's amazing when you look at this text. First two verses are all about adoration. That God is heavenly and he is holy. Right? The prayer, it's a reminder, is not just about our benefit, but it's God's glory. How many of our prayers, if I just wrestle with you today, myself included, are primarily about us? Just think about that for a moment. I said it at the beginning. How many of your prayers start off with our Father? And I just want to praise your name today. You're so good today, God. You're so beautiful. I, I, I was driving in the car of the Lord this morning. I saw the sun rise, and you are unbelievably glorious. You are 
majestic. Man, you are other. You're holy. You're not like me. You deserve all the praise and all the glory. And so today, God, will your kingdom come in my life? And will your kingdom be realized in Lake Orion as I go to work? Because, God, you deserve it all. Or how many times do our prayers start off with, give us this day our daily bread? God, I need this. My wish list hasn't been fulfilled, right? He says here that, man, this is a model for us to pray. That when I go before the Lord, it's not just about, man, what I get, it's transformational. Part of the transformation is when I go before the Lord first and I acknowledge that he is other, it humbles me before the Lord in his presence. He's reminded that we're, we're called to pray for God's will to be done and going forward, right? So when God's will is to be realized in my life and in the church's life and in the community's life, there's an element of surrender, that I'm surrendering, God, whatever your will is, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if there is any other way, Father, let that happen. But if not, your will be done. Man, when is the last time we're praying that into our own prayer lives? God, would you do this? God, I need this, but whatever you deem good for me, me and for your glory. I'm good with it, God. And I surrender and submit myself under that. Why? Because God sees a bigger picture. He's not bound by time. He's, he, he can't even, we can't comprehend the realm of his comprehension and orchestrating events and aligning circumstances and all of this for his perfect plan and for all of his glory, right? He has his greatest purposes in mind that we can't always see, Right? So sometimes when I'm praying, it's not just about what I want, and God might not be answering because God has seen a bigger picture, and his timeline is different. He's saying, not this week, next month, next year. How many people have I talked to that prayed for their wayward child for 10 years? And finally, after 10 years of praying every day, they saw them come home. How many parents prayed their entire lives, and they never came home? And maybe at their own funeral, their kids saw the light. I don't know. God is perfect in his timing. And he knows exactly what he's doing, right? When we pray for his kingdom to come, it's been a kingdom of healing and wholeness and redemption and life and praying against sickness and injustice and oppression and pain and all these things, right? And then, he says, pray for your daily bread, what you need. You see, it's meant to be a regular dependence. Did you see it's not our monthly bread? It's not like every month I come to the Lord, hey, good Lord, I need something. Uh, well, this is one of the things I, I feel like we m probably in the American church struggle with a lot because most of us don't depend on God in their daily bread. You go to Africa and other countries, every day they're going before the Lord, Lord, I need your daily bread today because I won't eat. For us, most of us in this room will never have to worry about what we eat. There's not a true dependence, and we have to place ourselves in a dependence, even what we have. God, my paycheck this week is only from you. It could be gone tomorrow. All that I have is only from you, God. The giftedness that I have to pull off what I'm doing is only from you, God. Give us this day our daily bread, that there's a provision happening. And then what I love is the end of the prayer is all about transformation. It's not just about God, give me, God, give me, God, give me. No, he, he takes a look and says, man, make us more like Jesus. Make us more forgiving. Make us move and shape us, Lord, to make us more into your image and likeness. Mold us in your Christ-likeness through trials and challenges and unanswered prayers. God, make us more like you, right? You ever, uh, 
I'm using a lot of kids' illustrations, but not my own, because my kids are perfect, so they don't have to worry about that. They're not really. Um, they're from me. Um, man, you ever see kids fighting, and in the midst of it, you're trying to break it up, and they're like, well, they did this. They hit me in the back seat. Or they're in my face, and so they yell at me. Did you hit your sister? Yes, but she deserved it, right? And then, like, it's like five minutes later, when all of that is somewhere, they're like, hey, can we get Dairy Queen? You think I'm going to reward you for that? Like, no, you're never eating ice cream again. Or can I have this? No. Did you not realize the fact that we just had an exorcism in the back seat and now you want ice cream? Right? This is what we do. Our kids are like us spiritually. Man, this is exactly what we do. We're living in resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness towards other people. And then we're, Lord, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness this Sunday. I love it. God, will you grant me this? God, I need help in this area. And God's looking back and be like, do you not remember the back seat yesterday? Do you not remember the fact that you were literally gossiping all week about your, your, this person at church? Do you not remember that you have unresolved conflict with this person and instead of dealing with it, you just went to the church up the road? You see, it's about transformation. And some are not hearing their prayers answered because they're messed up relationally, vertically, and it's hindering their relationship with God hor uh, horizontally, or vertically, excuse me. And it says it all throughout Scripture. I mean, you can, he says, right, in, in the same text just before this, Matthew 5, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, remember that your brother, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave the gift. It's not as important to worship in the gift before the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer the gift. First Peter 3, 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers not be hindered, right? Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. You see, there's a hindrance in my relationship with God when I don't walk in accordance with people here on earth in the way that God calls me to. So for you, today, might be transformational in submitting to the Lord. And maybe there's people here today that you're like, man, I haven't felt the presence of God in my life for a long time. Can I just challenge you for a moment? Maybe there is unresolved bitterness, unforgiveness, or some other thing in your life that you are refusing to give up but yet you want God to do all that you ask. You want God to forgive you. You want God to move on. You want God to be a genie in the bottle and do all that you want, but yet we are unable to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to start a process. Maybe it's not a one-time act, because I know it's very hard. I'm going to just open up one finger and say, Lord, it's going to start with a conversation. I'm going to open two fingers. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to open three. I'm going to see a counselor. I'm going to, whatever it might be, that I can go before the Lord, saying, Lord, I understand that you want me to live authentically with other people so that I can live authentically with you. I don't know where that challenges you today, but for me, my heart is that we would be people of prayer, but not some manufactured brokenness or religiosity. It's authentic before the Lord. God, here I am. I want to know you. I don't just want to get from you. 
I come to you as a child, and Lord, transform me through my prayers as I go before you, and let's see what God does. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time we have together, for the few moments we have to open your word. Thank you for the goodness of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. So many amazing truths that are that can really transform the way that we live. God, may we be people of prayer, but not just people of memorized prayers or unauthentic prayers, but people of authenticity that, and you know us, Lord, because we're, we're doing our best to walk with you and speak to you and know you and in all of that, Lord, you, you respond to us. It may not be the response we want, and so God, I, I pray over any person in this room that is struggling with an unanswered prayer or a no when they want a yes, that they might learn that, man, in this season, there might be a season of waiting, but like the persistent woman in the scriptures, she kept going and she kept going and she kept going and the official finally listened, Lord, because of her nagging on him. God, may we be people of prayer that continue to go before your throne in authenticity, nagging you to move, nagging you to, to reconcile our children, nagging you to move among this area for the kingdom of God, that you might form us and transform us into your image and your likeness. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.